Hey everyone, Adam Rainbolt here for FakePigskin.com. Did you know that you can help our site run by simply clicking through FakePigskin.com before you make your Amazon purchases? Buying books? Click through FakePigskin.com. Buying a new TV for the NFL season? Click through FakePigskin.com. Buying Kleenex Ultra Tissue to hand out to the one guy at your draft who complains that you took the guy he was about to take? Click through FakePigskin.com. Before you shop at Amazon, please click through our banner on our homepage. Now, on with the show. Welcome again to the FakePigskin.com podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rainbolt. I can be found on Twitter at Adam Rainbolt. Uh, with me tonight is Asher Curzon. He can be found on Twitter at RealABC. Uh, filling in tonight for Regan Yant, who is on vacation in sunny San Diego. How's it going, Asher? Pretty good. I think I'd be better if I was on vacation, but I can't really complain. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. He's uh, Regan's popped up a few times on Twitter this week, so I've been giving him a hard time telling him he needs to go back to uh, enjoying his time there. Yeah, and, I saw that. So. Yeah, and he'll, he'll definitely like our musical choices this week as well for both our intro and our outro, so that'll be something to look forward cool. to. So uh, for this week, we decided to try something different. Um, We'll do the first half of this podcast with Asher and the second half, uh, scheduled to be John Kerwin, um, just answering listener and uh, listener questions and follower questions from Twitter. So we put kind of the bad signal out earlier this week and got some good questions, and we'll go ahead and uh, review those now. So uh, without any further ado, Asher, let's get started. Okay. So our first Twitter question is from at DB Sports Maniac, and his question is, who would you grab first, Matt Forte or Reggie Bush, in a PPR league? Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I read the question. I, I think Eric at, at DLF addressed the exact same question in the, the Monday or the mailbag this week. Nice. Um, <laughs> if, you know, if you guys listening want to check out an in-depth article on that particular question, you know, head over to DLF. But, um... I, I tend to agree with, with what Eric said. I think, in um, for me, I'm a Miami fan. I've seen Bush perform really well the last two years, um, but it's just that 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 risk of injury is so much higher with him than I think um, Matt Forte. He kind of fought it off the last two years, but prior to that, you know, he was hurt multiple times over the first you know the first couple of years of his career, and he's going back to turf, which is where he was hurt a lot more frequently in New Orleans instead of the grass in Miami. And I just think with Tressman coming in, Forte's um, going to be a monster this year. But I, I don't think you can go wrong. Either one, personally, I'd just take Forte. Yeah, and still a bit of an unknown how uh, Detroit will use Bush in the offense. Everyone expects him to kind of go back to how he was used in New Orleans, but I mean, it really remains to be seen until we actually see it in action. Um, kind of worth noting, uh, average draft position, Matt Forte, 14th running back, Reggie Bush, 19th running back. Um, that's in standard league, so PPR be slightly different. But, I mean, we're talking about two guys in the, in the general neighborhood, and you could really feel good you know, taking either one of those, just kind of depending on how much you factor in the injury history, like you mentioned. Definitely. Now, our next uh, Twitter question is from Kevin Stolings, who is at Too Real for Mere Words. Uh, his question is: Should I put up the law firm BG, BJGE Ben Jarvis Green Ellis early or late in an auction PPR keeper draft? Since I drafted Gio Bernard in my rookie draft. So a lot to break down here. Uh, he's talking PPR, he's talking keeper, and this is an auction league. Um, I'm not sure how much auction league, how many auction leagues you've done, Asher. Um, 
do you have any insight as to how you like to bid those players out when you like to nominate them for for auction? I've got a little experience, and I wish Richard was on tonight because I can just hear him saying, "This guy sucks." And I and I <laughs> and I like and I, I do Terrible. like I do like Green Ellis. I've had him for quite a few seasons, and kind of one of those boring guys, which we'll touch on. Uh, later this offseason, boring guys that you like to own, and he's definitely definitely one of mine, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think the strategy for this particular um, guy here is if it really depends on what he's trying to do. If he's trying to handcuff um, uh, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis with Bernard for this season. Yeah, I think we can or, assume that. Or, okay, so or I didn't know if he was just trying to get someone else to, to um, bid him up. Um, I think I would tend to wait. He tend, he's a guy that most people forget about. And at, let them spend all their big money in an auction, and when it comes down to it, you could probably come away getting Green Ellis for, you know, pennies. That's what I think. But Yeah, and I, I did my first uh, my first uh, Dynasty auction last year, so our dispersal draft was auction style. And I jumped on Matt Forte early, jumped on Ray Rice early, and I was really glad I did because by those, by, you know, a quarter or a half through that draft, uh, players were getting bid way up, way past what I, I got both of those guys for, who were studs in their, you know, where they are in their positions. Um, I mean, it really depends. So to answer Kevin's question, it really depends on if he knows the other guys in the league, kind of how they like to bid. Um, one strategy might be to put him up early, knowing that maybe – the other owners don't feel that strongly about Ben Jarvis Green Ellis and are willing to let him go at a lower rate. Um, it really all just depends. I mean, he's not Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Really, isn't the, quite the polarizing player as someone like Sean Green or someone like that would be, where you know, or Darren McFadden, right? Where you're going to nominate him, and and several owners probably aren't going to take him really at any price. Um, I guess it all just really. I mean, sorry to answer that question that way, Kevin. I guess it really just depends, but definitely a few different strategies you could employ there. Yeah, and I think that's what makes auctions so appealing, and especially in, in PPR. I mean, we always forget that touchdowns still count for six points, PPR standard. Um, so if you get a guy like Green Ellis who's going to get all the goal line work, um, at least that's the way it seems right now, he's still valuable, and people probably tend to forget it. Yep, for sure, and, and worth mentioning, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis is uh, the 30th ranked running back in average draft position right now in some of these early mock drafts that are going on. Our next question is for also from Twitter from Robert Mulligan, at Robert Mulligan. Uh, these are great questions. Questions we'll probably actually end up bringing back up with both Richard and Regan, because I know Regan could probably spend a whole hour talking about uh, <laughs> about both these questions. The first is, how do you pick sleepers and late-round picks? And the second part of that question is, how long into the season before you dump a player and start making moves? Uh, I'll answer the start making moves for Regan. I think sometimes he actually starts making moves before the draft's even over. Um, <laughs> he's really a guy who prides himself on making a lot of transactions, incremental gains, you know, just small improvements throughout the season can really make a huge difference. Um, you want to tackle either or both of those questions? Um, sure. I'll, I'll take the first one. Um, uh, for me, you know, the longer the last few years has really picked up for me with, with sleepers and um, late round picks. I think when I first started playing fantasy, I went after all the big names, and the longer I played, the more I realized it's it's the late round picks and those guys that pop, you know, mid season that really can carry you for a championship run. Um, and a, a great asset for me last year was I, I actually did um, NFL Rewind, and I watched all the preseason games. And uh, as well as, you know, if I didn't get to see a, a particular game, I'd, I'd watch and just try to see guys that 
um, that weren't putting up incredible stats, but were pretty steady or, you know, young guys in the preseason that uh, really shine, um, but may not have an opportunity immediately to play. And those are the guys that I tend to try and, and, and target uh, that, you know, one injury away from starting or, you know, in, incredible athletic ability, but uh, a little bit further down on the depth chart. Yeah. Were there any last season that kind of, uh, that you were able to pick up kind of as a result of your research and, and that kind of stuff? I mean, maybe like a David Wilson from the Giants or uh, some of the other guys that kind of got better as the season went along? Yeah. Um, and in just a standard redraft or even standard or redraft PPR, um, Doug Martin for me was wow. a guy I got in the uh, not really late round, but a but an, an early mid, like mid a round, fifth yeah. round. Yeah, um, and then late round picks, guys. I, I like Antonio Brown. Even I mean, last year, he was a, a a wide receiver two. This year, he should be, you know, wide receiver one in that offense if you buy into him. Um, but he puts up numbers, you know, as 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 a consistent wide receiver, and you wouldn't you wouldn't take him highly at all. Yeah, for me, I was in a in my 10-team league, uh, Husbands and Wives League, one of my late-round sleepers was actually Jason Witten. Uh, if you recall, the week we drafted, well, you wouldn't know this because you weren't in our league, but the week we <laughs> drafted uh, was the week that Witten had the injured spleen, and it was questionable how much he would even play for the entire season. So here we are at the end of the draft. My team's pretty much set, and I decided to pick him up and stash him, and it ended up using him a little bit throughout the season. So um, really the sleeper and late-round pick, you're right, preseason, uh, looking at some of Richard's awesome articles he's been putting out on fakepigskin.com regarding sleepers. Um, for the casual player, we're kind of getting into that point, right, where the casual players are starting to pick this back up, and it's not just a bunch of us fantasy writers kind of trading barbs with each other uh, online, um, just looking looking to those articles, looking to see kind of the research that some of the, the experts and the people who are falling this year around are looking at. Um, how long into the season before you dump a player and start making moves? Uh, again, I, I mean, I start immediately. I, I've, there's been drafts. Um, where I've immediately dropped guys and, and picked up guys off waivers just kind of as the progression of the draft has happened or as the draft has ended. Um, when to drop a guy, I mean, it really just depends on the situation, whether it's industry, sorry, injury or uh, non-performance. But so much of it, is, I mean, we'll say this again and again, it's just all about value, right? Where you pick up a guy, what's on the waiver wire, uh, looking at matchups, things like that. Exactly. Our next question is from Ryan in Idaho. Uh, his first question is, how do we see the Green Bay running back situation playing out? Um, I know we touched on it quite a bit during our running back rankings uh, podcast, as well as our story out on fake pigskin. Um, you know, Dewan Harris is kind of the incumbent there. Jacob Lacey and Jonathan Franklin both taken in this year's draft. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Green Bay running backs? Uh, you know, it's it's so hard to tell because you can, but the way they drafted taking Lacey and Franklin, it, it really seems like they want to run the ball. You know, last last season we saw, you know, down the stretch they had trouble, you know, closing out games if they weren't up by a huge lead because they couldn't run the ball. And you were playing guys like, you know, Kuhn and uh, Alex Green and um, <laughs> to an extent Starks, but that guy's never on the yeah. field, so, uh, you know, a, pl- a platoon, so to speak. And then Harris really picked it up and had the little playoff like the little run, but it's been that way for, with Green Bay for years. Starks did it a few years ago. He had a great playoff run, and everybody thought, you know, this is the second coming of um, Brian Grant, yeah. or you know, and it didn't pan out. So personally, I unless unless Lacey, you know, just completely goes nuts in the preseason, I want no part of this in redraft. Um, 
I think it's just going to be uh, an R, uh, running back by committee, you know, depending on what situation it is in the game, what set they're in, you know, what the score is. They're going to roll out different guys. And, I mean, maybe one of them turns into the, the goal line back, maybe Lacey, and, you know, there's value there. But I think I'd look elsewhere and let, you know, um, maybe – other fantasy owners uh, take a chance there. Yeah, and uh, as we sit here on the 25th day of June, uh, Lacey is currently being drafted, average draft position of the 29th uh, running back, which is fifth round, ninth position. Jonathan Franklin running back 42, ninth round, eighth position. And Harris is actually outside the top 66, so not being drafted much at all. A lot of that you can attribute to, you know, folks doing mock drafts this time of year are going to be a lot more focused on the rookies, kind of the upside, right? Wanted to be the one who hits on on those types of players. But I think you're right, trying to basically avoid in this situation if possible. Um, if you're in a dynasty league where maybe you only keep 10 or 12 guys, Harris is probably on the fringe there, just depending on what your running back situation is. Um, I, I, Me personally, I like Lacey. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get into – through the preseason into the first couple weeks of the season, and Harris is a starting running back. I mean, he's familiar with the offense. The coaches are familiar with him. I feel like we've seen that time and time again where rookies are drafted high, but when those depth charts come out, they're definitely uh, placed like rookies. Yeah, I think um, just just out of curiosity, who's being drafted around um, Lacey and Franklin? And Let me take a look. What other running backs? Yeah, so I pull this up here. Franklin and Lacey. So Eddie Lacey at, at 29th, 508. Uh, just above him, Richard Mendenhall, Ahmad Bradshaw, Ryan Matthews, um, Chris Ivory, I guess, quite a bit earlier. Um, and then mm-hmm. for Franklin, uh, just ahead of him, Bryce Brown, Zach Stacy, Fred Jackson, and behind him, Isaiah P., D'Angelo Williams, Mikhail Lashore. So I'm not sure there's too many of those guys you like more than the two Green Bay running backs. Um, again, they're kind of lottery tickets at this point, right? I mean, if, if one or both of them hit, they're going to be in good shape. I, I guess, I personally, I'd rather, I wouldn't take Brian Matthews. I don't want that guy on any of my teams <laughs> this year, but I mean, he's, you know, one broken collarbone away from not playing again, but, um, I would, I'd rather have Ahmad Bradshaw. I, to be honest, uh, depending on how the depth chart shakes out, I'd rather take Bryce Brown. He's explosive. We saw him last year. Um, Chip, Chip Kelly's going to be running a, you know, an up-tempo offense, interchanging backs. To me, there's there, there's higher upside, especially we don't know what's going to happen with Mendenhall, but Ballard was productive in Bruce Arians' offense last year, and Mendenhall is, you know, leagues above uh, Ballard's talent. So, personally, I just think there's players I'd prefer to those two rookies who have who have actually produced yeah, in the NFL. Yeah, in redraft, I'll be happy if the guy ahead of me takes Jonathan Franklin at that position and lets a guy like D'Angelo Williams fall to me, who's another one of those, quote, boring guys that, that is really – I mean, <laughs> no one's going to get excited about drafting D'Angelo Williams. I mean, but he's going to – he should produce. He should be, you know, good enough to be on your team and for the season. Regan will probably get oh, pretty. Regan, Regan have a lot to say about uh, about D'Angelo Williams. Regan, we love you, pal. We know you're on a rooftop in San Diego right now, listening to this on Thursday night. So, uh, <laughs> tip one back for us. Us working stiffs who are holding it down for you here. All right. So, uh, our next question also from Ryan in Idaho: What will Percy Harvin's impact be on the other Seattle receivers this season? Um, I know we've touched on this a little bit in our wide receiver rankings, as well as uh, a few of our stories kind of here in the in the early going. How do you feel about uh, Seattle wide receivers not named Percy Harvin? Um, 
Well, let's see who we got. Sydney uh, Tate, Sydney Rice. Um, who's the other one? Baldwin. Yeah, Doug Baldwin. Did they add anyone else? They drafted a receiver yeah, this year, right? I think. Did they get the guy from Kansas State? Let's see. This is great pod. So Sidney Rice and Harvin are the starters. Doug Baldwin, <laughs> Golden Tate, kind of the second string. Uh, Brett Swain, yeah. um, which I believe is a street free agent, and Chris Harper. So, I mean, not okay, not Harper. too much yeah. to be excited about there. Um, Sidney Rice was actually decent as a bye week replacement and maybe kind of your third wide receiver in deep leagues. Um, boy, I'm not sure I have a good answer for this question. I I don't I think the 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 linchpin to this question is all around Russell Wilson. If he blossoms into, you know, a fantasy stud and he's slinging the ball all over the place, which we're not sure if they're going to or they're going to stay with the ground and pound with, you know, Lynch, then I see value in those other receivers because Percy Harvin dictates, you know, double coverage, he, you know, linebacker. They have to put two guys on him. You know, he's that explosive. He's that dangerous on any given play, whether it's out of the backfield in the slot, lined up outside in motion. And I think there's value, especially with a guy with Golden Tate who had who has substantial athletic ability, he just hasn't been able to put it together. So if Wilson, you know, um, really takes a, sec- a step forward, I see some value there. Um, I'm not taking them any time early in any drafts. These are guys, like we talked about sleepers, you know, late-round picks. These are guys I might take, maybe pick off the waiver wire if they're not drafted. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much how I see them. I'd, I'd love to say, you know, Zach Miller's got – value and that affects him because you know he 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 showed some promise in the playoffs in the uh in the game against atlanta for the uh and you know he blew up for a big game but it's just kind of unpredictable it really depends on where their offensive scheme goes and how wilson develops yeah most definitely and and again it kind of goes back to preseason right looking at looking at the game tape and looking at the stats looking at targets things like that just trying to understand how these guys are going to be used uh, with that change in their offense. Yeah. All right, our next question is from Scott in Phoenix. Uh, kind of shortened to the suite with a couple of these. Uh, Wes Welker, you going uh, buy or sell on Wes Welker stock? Um, well, in my well, in my dynasty league, I sold him uh, only because I have Demarius Thomas, and I you know I didn't want to log him at receiver. But um, I, I I think he. I think he's going to be either a little bit better or just pretty much a push for last year. I know people are, you know, wondering how he's going to get all those receptions with Decker and Marius Thomas and the running backs and the tight ends um, and how Peyton's going to keep all of them happy. But I, I really think Peyton would just try to stick it yeah. to Brady <laughs> and get him over 100 yeah, yards, 100, 100 receptions. Usually. You know, just Peyton's that competitive and, you know, <laughs> I could easily see him force-feeding Welker. You know, kind of the way like Breeze, they forced, they had Breeze just throw and throw and throw in that um, season where he broke Dan Marino's passing, uh, record. <laughs> passing yeah. record. Yeah, I could easily see him just, you know, going to Welker time after time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's definitely value there, more so in PPR um, than standard. But he's, I don't see him, him yeah, declining. Would you, you get back for Welker? I traded Welker for. In, in my dynasty league, Mike Wallace and the 1.6, but I also had to send Vic Ballard and um, 
Denario Alexander. I ended up taking Patterson at the 1.6. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty significant but, trade, but uh, that seems pretty balanced, especially with you getting Wallace back and plus that high draft pick, which you used on the uh, rookie wide receiver there. Yeah, I was pretty happy with it at the time I wrote the Ballard article, so I was high on Ballard. Um, in hindsight, it looks better with the, uh, for me, with the Bradshaw signing. So, <laughs> But, you know, only time will yeah, tell. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, let's go ahead and skip down a few. We'll save some of these questions for John. Um, with the depth of high-ranking running backs, if you have the number eight pick in a, let's assume, 10 or 12-team league, do you take a quarterback? Um, if you read the article I posted today on Philip Rivers, uh, you know my answer. I've been reading the late-round quarterback um, by J.J. Zacharyson, and there's absolutely no way I'm taking a QB that high, unless unless it's a two-QB league would be the only um, time I would consider it. I think you've got to take your running backs and your wide receivers early, and there's just so much value with QB, especially this year with guys like Kaepernick and Wilson, um, you know, and RG3 and Luck coming into their their second years, that, that I think you can get a great quarterback in a 10 or 12 Absolutely. League. Even guys like Romo or, to a lesser extent, Josh Freeman. I mean, there, there really is just so much value there at quarterback in those in those later rounds. Um, if you look at kind of who's available at the eighth pick, you're looking at LaShawn McCoy, Calvin Johnson. Um, <clears throat> I'd rather have Alfred Morris, uh Trent Richardson, Steven Jackson, all those guys in that range before I even think quarterback. Because where you're really going to pay for it is on the back end, right? Because now you're looking at Mendenhall as your number one wide, uh, number one running back or some of the guys you mentioned earlier when talking about those Green Bay running backs. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. And kind of what that, what the book you're reading is telling you is, is, and kind of the mantra of some of the fan, other fantasy pundits, um, for this offseason really is loading up on running back and, and the super elite wide receivers at those positions and not quarterback. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because, um, up until maybe the last year or two, the mantra has always been running back, get, you know, get three, two or two or three stud running backs in your first three to four picks. Um, and then it just flip flopped like the last two years with the with the lockout and teams throwing for insane yards. You know, quarterbacks became much more valuable. But if you really look at it, it's such a deep position, and they touch the ball so much that even a guy like Carson Palmer, who was on Oakland last year, was you know throwing plenty in a game in garbage time to make up you know points on your fantasy team that you don't you. And he was probably a very late round pick, if not you know waiver wire fodder. In a 12-team yeah, league. Yeah, most easily. definitely. Um, okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll do one, one more question. I'll save the rest of these for John and for us to talk about at a later date. Um, this question was actually from my wife, who played fantasy football for the first time last year, and I'm working on an article now talking about why you should play fantasy football uh, with your significant other. Um, so we were in a 10-team league, which was five husbands and five wives, um, kind of split up. It was a lot of first-time players. In fact, I want to say... Me and one other guy were the only ones who had ever played before, so that was pretty awesome, um, kind of bringing them along and, and everyone enjoying the season. Uh, so my wife's team, she was in a 10-team league. Uh, quarterback passing touchdowns were six points, and she got stuck with Carson Palmer and Christian Ponder at quarterback. So her question for us is why shouldn't she take a quarterback in round one this year? Um, we kind of alluded to it, but we can talk about it a little bit more. Um, she ultimately ended up going with, she, I think she picked 10th. She took Calvin Johnson 10, Marshawn Lynch 11, and then Brandon Marshall in the third round. So she was very good at wide receiver and very solid at running back as well with some of the other folks she picked up. Um, but I think throughout the season, she just kind of felt like she never had one of those top flight quarterbacks. Um, 
And kind of worth noting, too, she was, like we talk about the classic victim, uh, no matter who she played, that was the other team's high-scoring week. So really she was kind of just a victim of circumstance, and after kind of looking at her team and her stats and showing her, you know, quarterback really wasn't the reason why you lost uh, those games. It was just really just scheduling and, and really just the fantasy gods, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the way it sounds to me. Um, funny, strangely enough, my wife was the same situation <laughs> in our league in our league last year. She went Calvin Johnson with her first pick. Uh, she picked one first overall, but the same thing. She went up. I think the only one. She only won one wow. one game all year. Which is, but uh, she played. You know, elite. Everybody was putting up tons of points every week against her. She can never catch a break. Um, but for your wife's situation, I mean, it's, it's such a deep position. If she, I, I wouldn't take a quarterback in the first round. I probably wouldn't even take one in the second or third round unless the value was just um, incredible. Un- unfortunately, Ponder had a pretty bad year, and Palmer, um, while was serviceable, you know, if, if, if the other team's quarterbacks are putting up the same stats, it kind of negates Palmer and makes his value um, seem irrelevant, um, even though it's there. I guess I guess it, it, it just comes down to, to personal choice. If if you look at quarterbacks this year, you know I can I can list probably twelve of them that um, that you know I'd be more than happy with or fourteen on my team. Whereas with running backs, wide receivers, um, and even to an extent tight end, you really can't. That cliff is very 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 steep. Like you alluded to earlier, you're looking at your first running back being Mendenhall, or maybe even um, Ahmad Bradshaw, and you really can't count on them, you know, game in and game out. Yeah, especially not at this point. Really, you you want that first round pick to be. I mean, they should be the cornerstone of your of your team for the season. That really should be the person, the guy that you don't trade, the guy that plays every game. Um, and that's really what sinks a season is when you start taking those risks or kind of misvaluing those players that high. Yeah, I mean, two years ago, uh, some of the you know the mainstream fantasy sites were really pushing Michael Vick as in the first overall pick. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, Matthew I mean, Barry's big article. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah. Which wasn't yeah. bad. I mean, it was and, definitely a strategy, but uh, for for the... Yeah, but if you, I mean, you sunk your team that year if you picked Vick. You yeah. didn't... <laughs> you would probably be struggling, you know, to make the playoffs um, because that, that... It just drops off for talent for the other skill positions. And like you said, you really want... That, that first pick to be the cornerstone that you build your team around. Yep, sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks, Asher. It's really been a pleasure. Um, as always, you can find Asher on Twitter at RealABC. And some of his writings, he mentioned his uh, Philip Rivers article that was published this past Monday. Uh, go out to fakepigskin.com and take a look. Uh, Asher, awesome work, man. I really enjoyed it. All right, oh, thanks, Adam. Talk soon. And uh, we'll be right back with John Kerwin. here with John Kerwin, who can be found on Twitter at jkerwin777k. How are you doing tonight, John? Good. How are you doing tonight, Adam? Great. As you all may remember, John's one of our writers um, here at, at fakepigskin.com, and uh, we'll go ahead and do some more listener questions with John. 
Uh, hey, John, first question. I also asked Asher this question as well. Um, this one's from at DB Sports Maniac on Twitter. Who would you grab first, Matt Forte or Reggie Bush in a PPR league? You know, this is an easy answer for me. Um, it's Matt Forte all day, every day. Um, I got a couple stats and stuff written down here of exactly why I would I would make that pick. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, basically, I broke it down. If you look at their careers, they each average almost exactly 53 receptions per season. Uh, big difference is Forte's got about 465 yards uh, per season, where Bush is about 390. So their PPR value seems to be pretty close as far as the receptions and yards. Uh, but the big difference is Forte's rushing yards. Interesting. He's about well, 1,065 yards per season, whereas Reggie's about a little under 600. Wow. So, and, and a couple other big things. I mean, Reggie Bush has only played two full seasons in the NFL. Yeah, and that was Asher, Asher's point as well was the durability. That's kind of what scared him off. And if you look at where both those guys are drafted in non-PPR leagues with Forte being the 14th running back and Bush being the 19th running back, all indications would really point to that, right? Absolutely. I mean, Forte's only missed five games in his entire career where Bush is – Bush has only played a full season his first year in New Orleans and last year in Miami, really. Um, and I just, I like all the additions on their offensive squad too with Bennett, the offensive line with Slauson, Bushrod, and bringing in Kyle Long through the draft. I just think his pro- proven wor- workload and he's a lot more consistent throughout his career. So. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, plus the coaching change there, too. I know we've talked about it pretty much any time the Bears have been mentioned on this podcast. um, We talk about the coaching change and maybe what effect uh, the outside of the box thinking we may have from a coach that's coming from the CFL. Uh, Should be pretty interesting, especially in the preseason, to watch and see what happens there in Chicago. I completely agree with you on that. All right, so we'll, uh, our next set of questions is from Scott in Phoenix. Um, his first question is, uh, Wes Welker, are you buying Wes Welker stock or selling Wes Welker stock at this point? You know, I'm not going to say I'm down on Wes Welker. I still think he's going to be a great wide receiver, um, great acquisition for the Denver Broncos. I mean, you're just looking at the last two years. Last season, 166 targets and 118 receptions. Year before, 169 targets, 122 catches. I mean, he was Tom Brady's favorite security blanket there in New, in New England. By I just, far. I don't see him getting that type of production with Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker. I mean, that's substantially skilled mouse to feed throughout that offense. And I just don't think he's going to maintain the type of statistics that he did in New England. So if we're going from a basis of what he's done in his past, there's no way he's going to be able, stock's not going up at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think Asher made the point that, uh, the best thing we, that Wes Walker possibly has going for him in Denver is Peyton Manning's uh, desire to really stick it to Tom Brady and the Patriots uh, to really show him what he can do with uh, with his ex-white out there in Denver. You're exactly right. And I tell you what, his 15 drop passes last season don't help him too much. You start dropping Peyton Manning's passes, he's going to start looking to his other studs. I'll tell you that Most much. definitely. It seems like they have plenty, like you say, plenty of mouths to feed there in Denver. Uh, Absolutely. Scott's next question has to do with Carson Palmer. Uh, how do you see him fitting in with the Cardinals? Uh, will he be another USC bust, a la Matt Leinart, although Carson Palmer is much later in his career, or do you see him being productive uh, for our hometown Cardinals here? You know what? I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I don't know how productive he's possibly going to be on that end of the, the half, but I really think he's he's going to be a decent quarterback there. Um, he had a lot of garbage time last season, but he was a little, little under 4,000 yards, um, had 26 touchdowns. He did throw 20 picks. But I think with Bruce Arians, um, he's very offensive-oriented coaching style. Um, Arizona was dead last in yards per game last season, whereas the Colts finished 10th. with a very young roster with Andrew Luck as well. And I think having Larry Fitzgerald is going to be huge for him. And Regan's boy, Rob Hausler, that doesn't hurt either. Yep. So I think the only question mark is going to be the running game with that offense. But 
I think Carson Palmer is going to be a steady, consistent quarterback for the Cardinals next season. Yeah, most definitely. And if Regan were here, again, he's still vacationing in San Diego, so we have to give him a hard time. Uh, if he were here, he would tell you that the kind of woes of the Cardinals offensive line were a little overblown last year. Um, kind of had some continuity there towards the end of the season and everyone likes to point to offensive line as being the problem but at this point we really don't have any reason to believe that they won't be able to protect Carson Palmer uh, this coming season and then again it does point back to the running game right what are you going to get from Mendenhall what are you going to get from Ryan Williams here entering I believe his third season with two two season ending injuries um, those are the real question marks for the Cardinals going into the season. Exactly. And also how much room is left on that Rob Hauser bandwagon that Regan's driving uh, here down one of our interstates. Yeah, he's definitely uh, uh, coaching that one. So Yeah, most definitely. Uh, another question from Scott. Uh, with the depth of high-ranking running backs, if you have the number eight pick, do you take a quarterback? Um, I'll give you my answer real quick, John. Uh, I said no. I said with the eighth pick, you're still looking at guys um, like uh, Shady McCoy, Calvin Johnson, Alfred Morris, Trent Richardson, Steven Jackson, all in that around that eight spot. Um, average draft position as we talk here at the end of June. Uh, I'm not taking a quarterback in this position. I'm definitely waiting. Uh, you know, you may even wait to the third round and pick up a guy like Tony Romo or some of these other fantasy quarterbacks that are just going to give you good production uh, all season. You know what? I couldn't agree more with that. I'm going to get a little bit more in depth with it. Um, You're looking at, I would absolutely not. You're looking at a 92-point standard difference from quarterback 1 to quarterback 12, so from last season. So you're talking a 12-team league, all your starting quarterbacks within 100 points of each other. Um, You're looking from, I'm assuming most people are going to take Aaron Rodgers in the first round if they do take the quarterback. And you're looking at a three-round difference from him and Matt Ryan. Um, and you break everything down, and you look at T. Rich going towards the end of that first round as well, who finished as the running back nine last season, right where we'd be talking right about there. Yep. And he finished with about 202 points. If you did that three-round difference, um, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're going to wait three rounds to take another running back, but if you did just to kind of be equivalent with him, Ryan Matthews would be the guy fitting into that position who only scored 110 points. That's a 92-point difference between those two alone. So, I mean, I think with the small gap in between the first quarterback all the way to the 12th, it's an absolute no-brainer. I mean, even if you go wide receiver, look at Calvin Johnson, who's going towards the, right about that A spot right now yep. at um, Fantasy Calculator, yep. ADP, who scored 42 more points standard than Julio Jones last season, who's going exactly one round behind him at about the eighth pick in the second round. So you're talking basically, I mean, a 42-point difference between one wide receiver to the next who are pretty much ranked within a couple spots of each other on most people's rankings. I just, I, I think it would be senseless to take a quarterback that early, especially with a lot of studs still on the board. Yep, and that's good analysis and something we'll talk about as we get closer to, uh, you know, most folks doing their drafts and things like that is you're really looking for that kind of value over replacement or value over the next guy that's going to be available. And, you know, you joke during a draft when two or three tight ends are taken in a row and people say, oh, there's a run on tight ends. Well, that does have an effect on you because then you get to a point where, you know, you are looking at a 20, 30, 50-point differential between the guy who was just selected and the guy that you're trying to wait a few rounds to grab. Um, it becomes you, very dangerous, and, and you can't get those points back. You're exactly right. And the, the point uh, Asher and I were talking about, too, uh, with those first-round picks, you really want those to be cornerstones. You really want those to be your high-scoring guys, your guys that, you know, you're really putting a lot of your a lot of your chips for the season on, uh, being successful and being, uh, you know, among the top of their position. And taking a quarterback that high is just a just a bad idea. I mean, definitely, especially when you take the late quarterback around 
approach. I mean, we were looking at Matt Stafford a couple years ago going towards the seventh to ninth round and him just blowing up and finishing in the top ten. Yep. And then even Matt Ryan last year went pretty late, and he was a stud. He was phenomenal majority of the season. So he helped me win a fantasy championship personally. Awesome. I would rather bank on getting one of those later. You're going to get a starting quarterback. Now, are you going to be able to get a starting running back in the later rounds? Probably not. Probably not. Are you going to get a, a wide receiver one, wide receiver two in the later rounds? Possibly, but, I mean, it's not guaranteed at that point. No. So Yeah, then you're looking at a number one like Deshaun Jackson or somebody like that that who knows how healthy or, you know, all those guys kind of have warts at that at that point. Yep. Um, our next question, Colin Kaepernick, uh, should we expect – so this is a question again from Scott. Should Does he look like a top – 25 fantasy quarterback or uh he says or will he be kevin cobb-esque uh as in his eagles days and i think what we're looking at there is small sample size um we've talked about this a little bit Uh, our quarterback rankings we definitely have colin kaepernick very high i think we have him maybe seven overall if i recall correctly um what do you how do you think colin kaepernick fares in 2013 yeah our rankings are a little skewed at this point because we did make those before crabtree was injured um, so I, I would probably step him back a little from where I had him at, but I'm still a big fan of him. I mean, you're talking from weeks 10 to 17. He finished ahead of Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, and Matty Ice in fantasy points. Um, I think his dual-threat capability is astounding, and he only got better as the season progressed. Absolutely thrashed that that soft Green Bay defense in the divisional round of the playoffs. Um, it was his true coming-out party from a fantasy perspective. Uh, playoff record 181 rushing yards, two touchdowns. And he had two more through the air, which happened to be the Crabtree, unfortunately. Um, I think the Crabtree loss is going to limit him a little bit, but he's got one of the most talented tight ends in the NFL and Vernon Davis, who I think needs to be consistently relied upon. And um, I don't expect him to be top five like I predicted when we made those rankings just because of the loss of Crabtree, but I still wouldn't doubt putting him in the top ten for the upcoming season. I think his, his running ability creates such a high floor, it's tough not to have faith in him. Yep, and I agree. Uh, in a 10-team league, he's a definite must-start number one quarterback, no question. Uh, and Scott's final question, uh, Michael Vick with the Eagles. Uh, who will emerge as the Eagles' starting quarterback, and what impact does Chip Kelly have on the offensive players in Philly? You know, I think it is going to be Michael Vick up until that injury report comes out after <laughs> week one. No, I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, barring injury, there's no reason why Vic shouldn't still hold the reins to the offense. Um, I'm very intrigued to see what Chip's approach is going to be this year. Um, everyone's assuming we're going to see that spread-style offense similar to his Oregon days, but I think Vic's legitimate option days are behind him. Um, his injury history would leave Chip looking very ignorant, putting him in harm's way every single week. I, I expect the biggest beneficiaries to be the running backs. I think they're going to be a very run-oriented offense, so I, I expect a big year from Shady McCoy. Um, and I expect Bryce Brown to get some some touches and get a piece of the pie as well in that high-octane offense. Um, I'd even go as far to say I, I'd be heavier on Djax or, or Macklin to benefit more from that style of the offense than the quarterback at this point. I think the set of play calls, they could be running a lot of screens. They're going to want the ball in the hands of their playmakers. So, Yeah, a lot of misdirection and things like that, too, that, like you're saying, could end up with those wide receivers and ending up with one-on-one coverage out in space and things like that. And we know what those guys can do with the ball out in space. Definitely. All right, our next set of questions are from Aaron and Tempe. His first question, will Danny Amendola be the new Wes Walker in New England? I tell you what, at this point he better be. (laughs) They don't really have any other options from what we're sitting at to start the season. No kidding. Um, From what it looks like for Gronkowski, it's looking really skeptical he's going to be able to start that season. Whether he misses a game or two or he's put on the pup list and he misses that first six, who knows. 
but you got Hernandez is done and gone. You might as well scratch him off and just forget about him. Um, there aren't many options for pr- that prolific Tom Brady. Tom, terrific. I mean, he's done a lot with a little in the past, but he's got a pretty hollow receiving court this year. Um, he's going to have to endure that. I look for Amendola to be targeted early and often a lot during a, pretty much every game of the season as long as he's healthy. Uh, I do expect a heavier running approach that they started implementing last season, but Tom Brady is Tom Brady. He's still going to throw the ball. He's still going to be effective, and Danny Amendola is going to hands down be his number one target. So I expect him to receive mass amount of targets, and he's talented enough to turn that into plenty of production. So Yeah, and with the running backs there, both Ridley and Vereen, uh, hopefully developing and taking those next steps that hopefully take some of the pressure off Amendola there in the offense. But at this point, we just really don't know what that new offense is going to look like this season. I think the, I think the stat that was thrown around on Twitter today was something like 72% of Tom Brady's passing uh, yardage targets are no longer with the team. Yeah. And that's, uh, I don't think they know what they're going to do at this point. I think no, that's the scariest part. For sure. But uh, Bill Belichick always figures it out. There's always some sort of creative uh-huh. way to make it happen. So. Uh, Aaron, yep. Aaron's next question, uh, Mike Wallace got a huge payday this offseason. Can fantasy owners expect the same from him this year in Miami, or is that fish going to flounder? You know, <laughs> he got a huge contract. I, I'm not a very big fan of Mike Wallace. He only had 64 catches last year for 838 yards. I mean, he did have eight touchdowns. He can stretch the field. Um, he's got that big play capability. He can post 10 points on the board for you in a heartbeat in the blink of an eye. But um, I think he's benefited on that long ball throughout his entire career. I don't think he's going to be an every-down, go-to possession type of receiver. Um, hopefully his new surroundings, the growing Tannehill, um, he'll realize he's got to lean on Wallace as the wide receiver one, and hopefully he'll be a little bit more productive than he was last season. But like I said, I'm not a huge fan of him. I think unless you look for those big weeks for those 50-plus yard touchdown passes, he's going to be very inconsistent from week to week. Um, I can tell you what, his contract's going to heavily exceed his production from a fantasy perspective, if you had to ask my opinion. Yeah, most definitely. And typically when you see guys sign big deals like that, it's because they've had a huge contract year, which you mentioned he didn't have in Pittsburgh. I mean, you, you looked at how Emmanuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, some of the other guys stepped up there and really became Ben Roethlisberger's go-to receivers. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little wary on Wallace as well. Uh, the next question from Aaron, for Dynasty players, who's a good buy-low prospect? And who should owners sell high on? You know, this one was easy for me. I did an article on him not too long ago, I think about two months ago or so. Um, Kendall Wright is the guy that, that I would target right now. I mean, he's going from Fantasy Calculator's ADP, he's going at the end of the 13th round, and that's in PPR formats. Wow. That's absolutely insane to me. I mean, this guy, as a rookie, led the, led the league with, as rookie, um, with tied for the lead with 64 catches last season. Um, word on the street is he's about 15 pounds lighter, wow. and uh, he's even said he's in the best shape he's ever been in in his entire life. So I think we're going to see a lot of progression and improvement out of him. Um, Jake Locker as well. The nicest thing, I mean, even if Jake Locker improves, the best thing about it is is Jake Locker's been very inaccurate with throwing the football, which benefits Kendall Wright. Kendall Wright's great at those little slants, throw him short passes, and he can create something out of nothing. Um, I think he's going to have more of a burst with that those pounds that he shed over the off season, and hopefully he can adapt to that new playbook we all keep hearing about in Tennessee. But um, Kenny Britt, Kenny Britt's a knucklehead. I know people still have faith in him. They say this is going to be his big year, his big turnaround, but he's always a major question mark. So I'm looking for Kendall Wright really to flourish in that offense. And I think from a dynasty perspective, I would bank on him if you can get him in the later rounds right now. That's interesting and not a name that's really been mentioned a whole lot, even within the fantasy writer community um, so far this off season. 
Uh, who do you think owners should sell high on at this point? You know, this is I'm going to create a little controversy throughout the uh, fantasy industry right now, Uh-oh. and I'm going to go with Arian Foster. Wow. Um, I know, I know. He's he's going top five in pretty much every single draft. Yeah, if- um, you're looking at basically, I mean, he's been carrying a crazy workload the last few seasons. Had 405 carries last season, which included the playoffs. Um, but you're talking uh, in the 17 touchdowns really carried him. But 4.1 yards per carry, he didn't have any type of explosiveness. It didn't look like most of the time last year. Um, I've watched his yards per carry just drop the last three seasons from 4.9 down to 4.4 down to 4.1. So, I mean, what's next? He's going to be in the three yards per carry average, high threes. Chris Johnson. Um, even, his, even his yards per game have gone down from 101.94 down to 89. So you're not talking drastic difference, but, I mean, he's gradually – we're talking a dynasty perspective now. So Ben Tate's going to be coming back. I just think that that workload's going to catch up to him. And if you can get rid of him and pick up any guys, like you can make a trade for Jamal Charles. You can work out a Doug Martin. Get one of those young guys that's got a bright future ahead of him and, and sell high while you can. I mean, he's a he's a top three back in most people's eyes. So Yeah, most definitely. And a lot of folks will just see that ADP, uh, you know, where he's being taken and, and weight it that way. So a lot of opportunity there to make make deals. We talk about in Dynasty a lot. If you can trade picks, too, it always helps to pad out trades. Um, but like you're saying, to end up with a Trent Richardson or someone like that, maybe offer you know, a late rounder or something to, to make that deal go through. Yeah, go for, go for the future. I mean, everybody's high on him now, but, I mean, you're looking a couple years from now. If his touchdowns stay up, yeah, he'll, he'll stay relevant, but I just don't think he's going to be that explosive running. He's absolutely no C.J. Spiller, that's for sure. So you go get Spiller for Foster, make that happen. Yep, and that's actually dovetail into our next question. Uh, Aaron asks, please tell me that the Bills will finally get smart and give C.J. Spiller 20-plus carries per game. Uh, I took a little look at the at the same website you're looking at for average draft position. Uh, C.J. Spiller currently being drafted running back number six, which is first round seventh pick. And uh, his buddy Fred Jackson, ninth round. So people are banking pretty hard at this point of the season that C.J. Spiller is going to get the, that kind of touches, that, that number of touches. Absolutely. I mean, could this be the new C.J. 2K? No. Oh. <laughs> it could very well be. I mean, talk about a hype train. I don't think there's a single player throughout the NFL that fantasy owners are more excited to see grace in NFL field this season. Um, his talent and explosiveness is absolutely unquestioned. But as far as 20-plus carries per game, you're looking at he had three games last season over 20 carries, and he averaged 4.3 yards per carry. If you look back at that and you look throughout the whole season, he had seven games where he had in between 12 to 17 carries. In those games, he averaged 7.5 yards per carry, and he scored all six of his touchdowns in those seven games as well. I think he's most productive in that 15 to 20 carry mark. Now, don't get me wrong. I still think he should be getting about 20 to 25 touches per game, you need to still be involving him in the, the passing offense as well and dumping it off to him. But he absolutely flourished in that, that mid, mid to high teens carries last season. And I think that's the best spot for him. I think having Fred Jackson there still just to take a little bit of weight off of him and grab a few carries and keep him fresh is, is a great thing. Yeah, most definitely. And if you recall back one of Regan's first articles at fakepigskin.com had to do with the Bills, uh, their offensive kind of prospects for 2013 under new head coach Doug Marone. So uh, kind of our staff at our site here is definitely looking forward to the Bills and most specifically C.J. Spiller. 
Uh, I agree. Aaron's next question, how good can Reggie Bush be in Detroit? We touched on this a little bit uh, previously with that PPR question, but the second part, with Calvin Johnson attracting so much attention downfield, uh, how do we think Bush will play in the offense uh, with dump-off passes in open space? You know, I think you bringing up the PPR is probably the best way to put it because I think this question is relative to scoring format. If you're talking a standard points league, I, I don't value Bush very high at all, um, especially with LaShore having to go line back and you got the human transformer at the goal line as well. But um, if you're talking PPR, I wouldn't be to see a 75-catch season from him. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for a lot of dump-offs. I mean, look how effective Bell was last season in that offense. And you're talking in the limited role, he had 52 catches on shared snaps. Um, given he only had 485 yards receiving and no touchdowns, which then again comes into play, they bring in LaShore at that goal line. Plus, they, even though Calvin didn't have many touchdowns, they still like to look his way a lot, and you have Pettigrew down there as well. But I, I think he could be a PPR machine. I don't think the touchdowns are really going to be there. I wouldn't bank on him as my running back one, but he could have a very legitimate season PPR perspective. Yeah, and really that goes back to knowing knowing your scoring, knowing your the format of your league. Um, all those things really do take take need to be taken into account when looking at these types of questions. Uh, the next question from Aaron: Who will have a more productive season, Percy Harvin or Greg Jennings? Uh, this is actually an easier question for me than most. It's my boy, Percy Harvin. Um, kind of got a little bit of a man crush on Percy, but it's merited. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had more yards after the catch than Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, Des Bryant, A.J. Green, <laughs> Randall Cobb. Um, and he only played nine games last season. I mean, he led the NFL in yards after the catch per reception. Everybody's weary of his opportunity in Seattle with mouse to feed. I mean, obviously you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. Um, Russell Wilson still establishing himself as a pretty prominent quarterback. Um, but I think, I think Percy Harvin's in line for a pretty big season. Um, he's not going to get excessive targets like he did in Minnesota. Um, but they could move him around the field, use him in a couple different ways. Um, and I expect him to be a clear cut wide receiver one when he gets his hands on the football. You better watch out. He's an explosive player. Yeah. Um, no doubt. The biggest worry for me, obviously, is I don't think the touchdowns are really going to be there. When you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield, um, they, he's the go-to guy when you're inside the 10-yard line. But I, I would take Percy Harvin without hesitation. You look at the, the Greg Jennings side of the uh, spectrum, and I believe he's still a solidly productive wide receiver, but his quarterback plays just horrendous right now from who their starting quarterbacks listed as. Not a fan of Christian Ponder at all. Um, even if they do yank the leash on Ponder and throw in Castle, I don't think it's going to be majorly beneficial for him. Just ask Wayne Bell about that one. Um, ineffectiveness as quarterback is just going to hinder and limit Jennings greatly. Decent wide receiver three with wide receiver two talent, but unfortunately on the team he's playing for, I just it, it's tough for me to have faith in him this season. Unless he is my wide receiver three and I don't have to invest a lot in him, I'm probably going to stay away. Yeah, and where those guys are currently being taken, Percy Harvin third round, Greg Jennings seventh round, which seems a little low to me. I'll definitely be targeting targeting him in a few of my redraft leagues. Um, kind of one of those boring guys that you like to own or that might be a little devalued. No one's going to pat you on the back for drafting Greg Jennings in the sixth round, but uh, he could definitely end up being a very productive wide receiver for you, just depending on that quarterback situation there in Minnesota. Yeah, and I th- I mean, if you get him down in the sixth, seventh round, around that area, like I said, you're getting him at the wide receiver three spot. You're, you're not investing a whole lot in that. So there's not a whole lot of risk involved. Hopefully there'll be a lot more reward. But I don't think he's going to be used the same way that Percy Harvin was used, obviously. Percy Harvin's just a totally different beast when it comes to his versatility. Yeah. But um, but like you said, if you get him in the later rounds, I'm not saying don't take the guy. 
it's just you're talking between those two. It's, it's clear-cut Percy Harvin for me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, our final question of the night, also from Aaron in Tempe, uh, he says, I'm surprised to see you rated Randall Cobb at number 10 in your preseason wide receiver rankings. That seems pretty low. Um, Cobb currently being drafted wide receiver 9, so middle of the third round. Uh, I feel like we have Cobb right where he should be at this point. You know, I agree with you. Wide receiver is really deep once again this season. Um, Cobb only adds to that high-tier talent that encompasses the top 10. Obviously, he's not going to trump guys like Calvin, Brandon Marshall, Des Bryant, A.J. Green, Demarius Thomas. I mean, even Julio Jones is too talented to push any further down. Um, but I like the likes of – I like Larry Fitzgerald this year, having a bounce-back year under Bruce Arians and your guys' offense in Arizona. Uh, I like Andre Johnson still to be the mouth, the force feed, in the Houston passing offense. And then, like I said, I got that man crush on Percy Harvin, so that's a little too strong to overlook at this point. Um, I wouldn't – I'm not going to heavily doubt that Cobb can't push that top five if he gets the looks, but – the way that Green Bay offense runs and still having Jordy Nelson and James Jones there, there's a couple mouths to feed. I mean, you throw in the fact that they actually have a functional running game this season for the first time in years. Um, I think it's difficult to assume that Cobb's going to get the targets to, to merit to be a top stud with all those other guys we were just talking about. And, I mean, I, I nabbed him off of waivers after week one last season, and he helped carry me to a fantasy championship. So I've got nothing against the guy. I think he's a great wide receiver. He's very versatile as well. But I think 10's a perfect spot. If we had him in the 15 to 20 range, I think we'd have some explaining to do. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so that's it for listener questions for this week. Uh, anything else you want to add, John? No, you know what? I had a great time on. It seemed like it was a little short, but then again, it was only us two, so we weren't sitting here going back and forth between three or four people. Yep, and this will be packaged along with our first half from Asher Kurzan, uh, who I spoke to uh, prior to this. So we'll have a nice... Uh, Nice pod. Uh, we thank you all for your listener questions. You can always tweet at us at fakepigskin or email us at fakepigskin at gmail.com. Uh, John, we'll look forward to your latest articles out on the website. And uh, until next time, this is Adam Rainbolt for Fake Pigskin signing off. Thanks. That's good, dude. Hey, man, what's up?